So today we head back to Psalm 119, and uh, we, uh, we're going to be looking at a, a section number 9, verses 65 through 72. If you would, grab your study guide from your bulletin, a clipboard and a pen from the book rack, and let's, uh, let's jump into this. This is the first section that actually has parts associated with it. Up until now, the first eight sections of Psalm 119, we've gone through uh, all in one Sunday. But this particular section has been uh, pretty important in my life. And I think based upon what's been going on in my life, and my wife's life, what we've been facing recently has generated a bigger interest in this particular passage of Scripture. And God has used it to minister to us in some really big ways, and I hope that as a result, He's used the same to minister to you. But what I want to do, since we're going to hopefully make it through this section completely today, is I want to walk back through the first three points. Now, we've already studied those first three points, so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time there. But I would like to walk back through them because of the reason that not everyone would have been here for every one of the studies, uh, but also because of the fact that we need to have uh, the understanding of where the passage is going. And there's a lot involved in these verses that tie together so well. And so we need to have that understanding of where, of where this is all going, okay? So if you've got your notes ready, by way of introduction, let's just walk through these first three points. Number one, your first fill-in, uh, David shows us, number one, the confirmation. He shows us the confirmation. God confirms something very, very important to David by way of this passage. In fact, if you look at verse 65, you see him say, You have done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. You've done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. Now think about that for a second, because if everything going on in David's life had been just peachy and wonderful, this verse would be much easier for us to accept and understand. God, you've done many good things for me, just as you promised. He was looking at his life. He was seeing that all of these things in life were going well. He was a success. He had thousands and thousands of friends. Nobody hated him. Everybody loved him. And yet that's not at all what was taking place in his life at this moment. In fact, we find that based upon his own creation, David's own sinfulness, his own rebellion against God, David had strayed just prior to this to a place that would bring him to the point of death. It was a very serious time in which David was face down in the dirt expecting to die at any moment. And he cried out to God at that point and God restored and revived him. But as if that wasn't enough, then following that, we see through our continued study of this passage that his, his so-called friends, and I believe it was those people who originally were leading him astray, they were helping him walk away from God, they were encouraging him to do that. Now, because David had turned back to God and would not stray again, they had turned on him. And they were reviling him and mocking him and ridiculing him. They wanted to destroy him as a person. They wanted to destroy his relationship with God. They wanted to destroy his relationship with his family and with the people with whom he was ruling. 
David would look at what was going on, and in the middle of such trouble, in the middle of such torment, this is when David would say, but God, you have done so much good for me. It's amazing. But then you promised to do that. And as we looked at this particular passage, we were reminded of how God cares for us. We were reminded of how God works in our lives through problems and through difficulties. Melinda and I have talked about this on many occasions, how through our health issues, we've seen God do things that, for whatever reason, He had not done up until this point. We've seen Him work in relationships that were strained, that basically through no fault of our own were just looked like it was a write-off it was never going to happen again and we've seen him do other things and other family members that just restored and strengthened them it was an amazing thing to sit back and watch God at work and as a result of what we have experienced as a result of what we have been able to see through this process it changed my way of thinking. It changed my way of verbalizing what's happening in life to where no longer was I saying, why me? Why is this going on? Why all the problems? Why all the health issues? Why are you letting this happen? To the point to where now I can honestly say, God, thank you that it was me. Thank you that we went through what we've gone through because we've got to see you work in ways that we never thought possible. We've got to be on the, on the receiving end of your great blessings and your great ministry in our lives. Doing things that whether you could or wouldn't do otherwise, you have done through problems in our lives. And we've got to experience that. We've got to see it. Thank you. Thank you. David in his life had received the same confirmation, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That even in his problems, even in his difficulties, God was still faithful to work in his life. God was still faithful to work in his situation. But that, that uh, confirmation that God had given to David brought him to show us the desire of his heart. Number two, the desire of the, of the psalmist's heart. We see the desire very clearly spelled out in verse 66 when he said, I believe in your commandments. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I believe in your commandments. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. Just on the surface looking at that, you would say, wow, this guy has none and he's wanting some finally. And yet we know that's not the case. As we've read about David through the years, we've studied about his life. One thing we know is that the people were literally amazed when they watched him because everything he did was, was wise. It was interesting how they, they would watch him respond to different situations and they thought, oh man, this is the one that's going to be the undoing of the king. But yet he would wisely walk through and handle it in a very godly way. It was amazing to watch him. He's called a man after God's own heart for a very good reason. He was following God through the difficulties, through the problems. And as a result of this, David now is crying out and he's saying, God, I have watched you at work in my life. 
And I have seen the blessings of your word. I have seen the joy of following closely to your word. And as a result, what I want, my deepest desire is more of it. I want to know more. I want you to teach me more. Based upon my past experience and my understanding of where you've taken me, now what I desire is for you to take me even deeper. I want to know more. Well, this would then bring us to the third thought. David then, number three, shows us the lesson learned. It wasn't just a lesson, but it was a lesson that David learned and in fact learned very well. David learned this lesson very well. Notice what he says in verse 67. He said, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. But now I, close, I closely follow your word. I used to wander off until you disciplined me. Uh, that to me is very interesting. Because David, like me, was one that was prone to stray. He was prone to wonder, that old song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, that's just me. David was very prone to leave the one who loved him so much. But God, in his infinite wisdom, allowed David to face the consequences of his sin. He allowed David to face the discipline of Almighty God on his life to where David, at the point of death, cried out, God, Will you revive me? Will you restore me? And when God did that, David came back to the place to where he said, I don't want that anymore. Isn't that the goal of every parent? I mean, we want to train our children. We want to teach them. And sometimes we have to do that through discipline. Maybe more often than we do, maybe less often than we do. Regardless, what we're after is teaching our children that the things that are dangerous to them are things that they don't want to do. Yeah, I've used this illustration. I'll use it again. My daughter, when she was young, would run toward the street. I would say, Cam, don't do that. Come back here. It's very dangerous. If she'd go back, I'd go get her. Cam, you can't go near the street, honey. It's very dangerous. If she went back, I wouldn't just say, okay, I've told you. Forget it now. No, I wouldn't do that. But what I would do instead is go get her and I'd bring her back. And this time with a little more reinforcement, I would help her to understand that she does not ever want to go back to that street. Now, isn't that the case? We do that not because we just like disciplining. But we do that because we desire so much for our children to have the life that is best for them. And it's the same with God. God desires for us to have the life that is best for us. And that the life that is best for us is the life that is perched right in the center of His will. It's sitting right in the middle of God's will. Because there is where joy and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment are found. They're not found when we stray away. That brings emptiness and it brings devastation and destruction. And so God disciplines us to bring us back to what is best for us. And David in the process said, I used to wonder until you disciplined me. Now, I've learned something. I want to follow closely to your word. I want to follow closely to your word. Well, now when you bring these three things together, it brings David to a startling discovery, number four. 
David shows us now the good and the bad. David shows us the good and the bad. Notice, if you will, verses 68 through 70. David talking to God. This is a prayer to God. He says, you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. Arrogant people smear me with lies. But in truth, I obey your commandments with all my heart. Their hearts are dull and stupid. But I delight in your instructions. The fact of the matter is, what David says about God is something you find others throughout Scripture saying that God is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. As you read through the Bible, you can become amazed at how the goodness of God is revealed to the different people who are writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The goodness of God. And how important it is that God really be good. Now you think about it. You think about it. God tells us some things in His Word and we have staked eternity upon it. God tells us that the only way to eternal life is through the sacrifice His Son made on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. And we stake eternity upon that. God tells us of His love for us and, and in His way of, of leading us to Himself. And we stake our eternity upon that. If God is not good, He cannot be trusted. And therefore, we are miserable people but God is good and David had already said that in verse 65 point number one when he said you have done much good for me you've done just as you promised you've lived out everything you've told me in the past everything you've shown us in your scriptures you've now proven to me it wasn't that God had to do that please understand this it wasn't that God owed him an explanation. Well, David, if you'll just wait, these problems you're having, I've got a reason for them. I'm going to bring about something pretty amazing in your life. So if you'll just trust me a little while, just wait. God did not owe David an explanation. And please understand, God does not owe us an explanation. We are not God. He is. But the incredible blessing of knowing such a loving God is that despite what he doesn't have to do, he still does. God in his kindness will reveal little parts of his plan. Not that we know all of his plan. Not that we could even understand everything he's doing in the course of our lives, in the problems and in the good times. Not that we could possibly figure it all out. But God in his kindness to us will reveal little pieces of it just to give us glimpses of his faithfulness of his kindness, of his goodness. So that we with David can say, wow, God, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, really, I really felt that this stuff was so hard and so difficult that I just didn't see how anything good could come out of it. And I know for some of you, you've been in situations to where maybe even now it's hard for you to understand. God, you said all things work out for good, but I don't see how it's possible in this situation. Can I just beg you to trust the goodness of God? 
And to begin looking for things that God is doing in the middle of your heartache. To begin looking for what God is doing in the middle of your problems and in your difficulties. Because I assure you, God is good. God is good. But here's the thing. David had found God to be good just as he promised, just as he said. He was faithful in all things. But interestingly enough, David had also found that there were others who weren't so good. Jesus was being questioned, and the man said, I was listening to this this morning, just, just God's timing. He, he asked him, he said, um, he called Jesus good, and Jesus said to him, why would you call me good? There's none good but God. In other words, Jesus was directing his understanding to recognize that he was God. But the truth is that God is the one who is good in the equation. It's not that we as humans somehow elevate ourselves to be good. No. The only good thing that's found in us is the Spirit of God when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's the Spirit of God that then produces fruit that is good, that is joyful, that is abundant toward what God desires from us. And so David had discovered that, yes, God is good. I've seen it. Those who follow God, who are led by God, are, are also good. They have my best interest at heart. But then there are a lot of other people who don't. These people who had helped him or, or encouraged him, who instigated his walking away from God before that led him to such a dark, devastating place. Now that David had turned back to God, they had turned on him and they were mocking and ridiculing him, trying to destroy him, trying to destroy his family. David had come to realize, you know what, I, I've got to stop trying to appease these people who are trying to destroy me. It's crazy to me how this works in our minds. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But it just it's crazy to me how we so crave... Everyone liking us. I'm a people pleaser. I know this firsthand. I want everybody to like me. Now, I'm getting, as I get older, I'm getting to the point where I understand not everybody's going to. There's bound to be somebody in the world that's not going to like me. David had come to the place where he recognized that I've got to distinguish and I've got to surround myself with those who love God, those who are going to escort me toward God and not those that are going to pull me away, regardless of what it costs me in the process. We get so wrapped up in our minds wanting the affection of those who are not benefiting us that we push away those who are in order to gain these people's affection. David had come to the place where he said, I've had enough of that. I'm not going back where you want me to go. If you don't like me, if you hate me, that's fine. We'll see a little bit more about that in point number five. I was talking with a man... And I imagine now it's been 10 years ago. He's not a member of our church. And I'd come to know some things that was going on in his life. And uh, Melinda and I went to the house and confronted them about it. And I, I talked to him about what was going on. And, and it became evident that there was a circle of people that he was running with that were encouraging and instigating what was happening. And uh, he, he kept saying, my friends, my friends. 
And I said, I want you to know something. The people who are doing that are not your friends. Oh, yes, they are. These are my friends. These are my good friends. I said, no, they're not your friends. I said, you look at what they're doing to your life. You look at what they're doing to your family. They're destroying your family. That's not a friend. It's not a friend. How important and how vital it is that we gain an understanding of who's working for our good and who's working against us. I'm not saying that we disown people who are working against us. But we acknowledge those who are trying to help us toward God. And we distance ourselves in that we do not allow them to have control and influence over our lives. Those who are trying to lead us away from God. So important, so vital. David had discovered this for himself. He said, I used to wander off. You disciplined me. Now I follow closer to your word. You are the one that is good. You are the one that is leading me in the right way. Well, there's one more thought I want to throw out for us here. Point number five, we see the payoff. The payoff. Okay, now what's important about the payoff is that it's not what we would expect it to be. Now we start talking about a payoff and immediately our thoughts go to cash. Right? I mean, that's just the American mindset. When we talk about a payoff, we're talking about finances. But David had something entirely different in mind. Notice what he said in verses 71 and 72. He said, my suffering was good for me. For it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. My suffering was good for me. What a, what a crazy statement, right? It's crazy, that is, unless we have seen the goodness of God in the process of our suffering. Unless we have come to understand the trustworthiness of God in the middle of our suffering. If we've grown to understand that, if we've matured to the place to where we recognize God's hand, that God is good and God is faithful all the time, then it's crazy if we don't see that. It's ridiculous. Who would say something like that? My suffering has been good for me. How ridiculous. But if we can see how it has drawn us closer to God, if we can see how God has used it for our good and for His glory, if we can acknowledge the goodness of God in the middle of testing and problems, then all of a sudden this makes perfect sense. And what follows would be even crazier if we don't understand it, but makes even more sense if we do. Verse 72, your instructions, your word, your message are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. <laughs> David, you're crazy, man. Do you not know what gold and silver can buy? You're talking about millions. You can get a lot of friends with millions of dollars. David had come to understand that the Word of God was much more significant to him, was much more important in his life than anything the world could offer him. It was much more important than anything he could lose by, by rejecting the leadership of those who would try to lead him away from God. 
David had found the significance of God's word in his life. So what do we do with this information? You know, I, I think there's several things that would be obvious, at least from my point of view. Number one, maybe there's someone here who does not know Christ as Savior, and you would say, you know what, I really need that leadership. I've tried these other things, and they are bringing destruction to my life. I really need that leadership, and you'd like to know more about what that means. And I would love to share that with you today. For others, maybe you've gone where David was. You've strayed away from God, whether under your own choosing or you've been led astray by others. It really doesn't make any difference. You're still in a place that's leading you to death and destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, the end there of the ways of death and destruction. It's leading you to a very deadly, dangerous place. And you recognize that, and today you say, you know what, I've got to get back to the center of God's will. This is painful. This is hurtful. This is not where I want to be. Maybe like David, you come to the understanding, hey God, I don't want to go there anymore. Draw me back to yourself. But then, finally, for everyone, I would hope that there would be an understanding of the necessity of God's Word in our lives. A necessity of making the Word of God priority in our lives. You say, well, you're saying that a lot through this series. And yes, it's true. Because the title of this series is It's All About the Bible. I mean, this whole chapter is talking about the significance and the importance of God's Word. And so we are going to see that over and over and again. And I hope by the time we get through this, or even part of the way through it, if not today, that it's going to catch on. And we're going to say, wow, I, I do see that. I've made the TV a priority in my life. I struggled with that this morning. I was really fighting, uh, you know, where God's Word should have a place in my life. Because honestly, this was something that had priority in my life. And over the last year, it's kind of slipped. Kind of slipped. And so I was, I was studying and thinking about it and praying about it this morning. And I had to get things straight. I had to say, God, I'm sorry. And so I made the TV a priority. Maybe it's time I change my priorities a little bit. You know, maybe it's time that I make the Word of God as important to me as the things that I would see on television. You know, if we truly want to be in the center of God's will, we've got to make God the priority. We can talk about it on Sunday and it sounds really good and we really have good intentions. But until we make God the priority in our lives, nothing is going to change. It's not. And so maybe for you, what you would do with this information today is just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's my priority. It's you. Help me. Help me to do what I need to do with it now.